Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you and helps you to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. Luke 15, we're going to read the first part together. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Luke chapter 15, we're going to pick up in verse 11. Luke 15. Look at your neighbor and say, I love you. This is a pastor's way of saying, I need more time. I'm struggling in the trenches right now. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. I brought my my regular Bible. Thank you, PC. Awesome. The joys of pastoring. Verse 11 says, to illustrate this point further, Jesus told them a story. Now, now before he goes into the story we're going to read, he, he tells two other parables. He tells the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. What's interesting about these two parables is one was lost outside of the house, the sheep, and the other was lost inside of the house, the coin. So he goes on to further illustrate that there was a man that had two sons. Everybody say two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Basically, he said, I want my inheritance. In other words, I wish you were dead. I really don't care about you. I want my money. I want my goods. And I'm out of here. Terrible. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, so he began to starve. He, was pers- he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. The man sent him into his field to feed pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, everybody say senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. Like It's not too bad in the father's house. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against you, both against you and heaven, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Like a servant is better in your house than what I'm living in now. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. He, his, he said to his son, or his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf, for we, that, the calf that we have been fattening, we must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead, and now he has returned to life. He was lost, and now he was found. So the party began. Everybody say, The party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he heard all the stuff, music and dancing happening in the house, he asked one of the servants what was going on. He said, your brother is back. He was told, your brother is back. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his return. The older brother was angry. He wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. Never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. All in this time, you've never given me even one goat to feast with my friends. 
Yet this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes and you celebrate him by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We have to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost and now he is found. And everybody said, amen. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today in a way that only you can. We need you desperately in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Here's your phone back, babe. Ready? Ooh, iPhone throw. Yeah, let's go. So, so, so normally this story is, is referred to as the story of the prodigal son. The one who went wild, living, spending all the father's money, rebellious. But the word prodigal, it, it simply means to be wasteful. Extravagantly, you're, you're, you're wasting what's been entrusted to you. And so normally when this sermon is preached, people talk about one son, but Jesus said there is a father that had two sons. Father that had two sons. And so, so what Jesus was saying that this story is not just a, a sentimental story of the father's love, even though it's clearly demonstrated. Jesus' original audience were sinners and tax collectors and Pharisees and teachers of the law, and they would have been offended, challenged, and convicted by what Jesus was saying. What was Jesus was saying? Jesus was showing us here that there are two ways to be lost and only one way home. The younger brother was lost outside of the house and the older brother was lost inside of the house. Let me just say, one was really far from God outside of church. The other one was in church every Sunday, but still lost. And so we see this dynamic between the older brother and the younger brother. Older brother represents the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The younger brother represents the tax collectors and sinners. And we see this dynamic. One was wild, immoral, rejected faith, rejecting the father's values, living their own way. And then the other one was obedient. Church every week, traditional, religious, moral, upheld the father's value, and he stayed at home. One went his own way and left home. The other one stayed at home. One went to discover their own truth. One was like, no, like I'm in the house. But it's interesting because they were both lost. A little bit easier to identify and see the younger son, but not so much the older one. And so, so Tim Keller would say that Jesus was pointing out two ways that we can be lost. There's a relativism way or a relativistic way, and then there's a moralistic way. He would call it two grids, moralism and relativism. What does that mean? Well, relativistic means you follow your own heart and not the rules, right? Like if, if there was a God, he would want you to find out what your heart really wants, so you make your own truth and your own rules. It's kind of like today. There's no such thing as absolute truth, relativism says, which and it of its essence is an absolute statement, so even that statement cannot stand on its own. It doesn't work. It kills itself. And so, so relativism basically says, you know, my truth is my truth. You know what? This iPad really isn't there. I don't think it's there. That's my truth. Even though it's clearly there objectively, relativism says, no, everything is subjective. Truth is subjective to everybody. Objective truth does not exist. It just doesn't work. But we know that's not true, right? Insulin is good for diabetes, not sugar. That is objectively true. You can't have a preference on that. That is 
a reality. But, but relativism said, no, 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 you make up your own truth, your own rules, and therefore you are your own Lord and Savior. But then the moralistic grid, you follow the rules, period. You follow all the rules. The way of salvation is by me obeying God's laws and standard with my actions, but not my heart. So, so in other words, this, in other words, many times people get saved and they're like, man, I know I can't save myself. I need your grace. They get saved. And they're thank you, God, for saving me. And then they enter into the moralistic grid. Now I have to try really, really hard to please God and live a good life, which every other religion on the planet, planet operates that way. You have to do good in order for God to see you. But Christianity is the opposite of that. God says, you couldn't do enough good, so I came down to you. That's why salvation is only found by the grace of God through faith in Jesus' work on the cross. That it's not by works so that none of us can boast. The problem is this. The moralistic grid is hard to see. Because the outside, it looks like everything's okay. Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. So in other words, in the moralistic grid, you are still your own Lord and Savior. It's still not the Lord. And so are you guys, are you guys tracking with me? And so, so when we think about this reality, when we think about this reality, one became their Lord, their own Lord, their own Savior, relying on their own wisdom, relying on their own ability, relying on their own way. They're both doing it. Except one becomes their own Lord and Savior through being a bad boy, and one becomes their own Lord and Savior from being a good boy. You see, the reality is the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. All of us. Look around in the room. We've all blown it. And sin just literally means to miss the mark. We have all have missed the mark of God's standard. But the Bible says, listen, if we confess our sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive us. So sin doesn't have to be our end all, but what happens? What happens? How do we live lost is when we don't allow the Lord to deal with our sin, when we choose not to deal with our sin. In fact, we choose to avoid our sin, and as a result, we choose to avoid Christ as our Lord and Savior. Are you with me? So you become lost, not because you're sinful. We're all sinful, and God has give, given all of us an invitation to experience his grace, to experience salvation, for our sins to be forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, the Lord says, I want to put your sins as far as that. I mean, that is amazing. But we're lost because we run from God, avoiding him, avoiding Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. And how do people run? Some people run through obeying. They honor God with their lips but their hearts are far from him. Others rebel and run from God by disobeying. But the reality is both are still fighting for control. Let me show you how this looks. The older brother's lost, younger brother's lost. One tries to control the father by being bad. The other tries to control the father by being good. The younger son says, I don't want your ways. I want to do my own thing. It's my own truth. I want to discover my, give me what belongs to me. You owe me. That sounds pretty harsh. I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. The older brother does the same thing, but it just looks way more polished. He says, I've done everything you wanted, so give me what I deserve. 
You owe me. Give it to me. I followed all of your rules. One is lost with unrighteousness. One is lost with self-righteousness. But both of them resented the father's authority. Both of them were looking for a way outside from underneath the father. And to get into a position where they can tell the father what to do. This is how you should move. This is how you should live. This is, I'm in control. They both rebelled, but in different ways. They were both alienated from the father's heart. They were both lost. They were both far away. And the reality is this. This one looks more pretty than this one. But neither son loved the father for himself. They didn't. In fact, they were after the father's things, not the father's heart. And so, so how, did, how did one go about it? He rebelled and demanded the things that he wanted. The other one obeyed and said, you owe me. And now I want you to do what I say. You need to make sure life operates the way I think it should work because you're in debt to me now. But they both said, we want your stuff, not you. One did it through rebellion. The other one did it for morality. They were both using God to get to what they really wanted, what they really hoped in. And some of us, if we're not careful, we fall into the same trap. Like, God, I'm really using you because I need a better career. I really want you to help me, but what I'm really hoping in is that you can help me to get into a relationship because that's what I really need. God, I, I really need you to bless me. I need more finances. I need you to protect me. Even God, I don't want to go to hell. I need some insurance. And we find ourselves in a place sometimes where we start falling in to one of these two ways. A, a, great, a great gauge to see if you're really, if you have a healthy understanding of the gospel and where your heart's at is when you sin, why do you want to get right with God? Is it because you're afraid of losing things? I got to get right with him. He's going to bless me. He's going to make my day so hard. I got I, I to gotta make sure because I don't want things to go wrong. I need. So we almost use him in a superstitious way. So, so when, you are, when you sin and you want to get right with God, is it because you're afraid of losing things or is it because you're afraid of losing him? I miss being with you, God. I miss being in your presence. I miss spending time with you in prayer. I miss you. Neither one of the brothers missed the father. They just wanted stuff. Are you with me? And they were both lost. So, younger brother, older brother, relativism, moralism. One left home, free-minded, rebelled, was distant. The other one stayed home, religious, obedient, checks all the boxes, both lost, except this one is a lot harder to see. And so let me make something clear. I think there are a lot of people in church that are in this grid. They think they're saved and they're not. Matthew chapter 7 said, many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not do all these wonderful things in your name? And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity, you sinful person. Scary. It's one of the scariest verses in the Bible. You're like, Pastor Matt, are you trying to scare me on a Sunday? No. But I am trying to awaken our hearts to, to, to this reality. There, there's, there's something I want to put before you. Maybe you're in one of these grids right now. You're just doing your own thing. Like you pick and choose your scriptures. I don't like that scripture. I'm living like the younger brother. I'll take that one, but not that one. I'll live however I want Monday through Saturday. Sunday, I'll give you Sunday. Wow. 
But I'm just giving you Sunday because I want a little, little blessing. Make sure my wife is happy with me. So, so maybe, maybe you're in the older brother section and you're just lost. Like you've been in church your whole life. You don't even know when you got saved. You're like, man, I just think I've been saved since I came out of the womb. But you have no joy, no love, no intimacy. Like you could quote verses and do all this stuff, but there, there's, there's no connection with God. And you use him as a means of getting something else. You could be lost. But I also think that as followers of Jesus, you could be found and fall back into these tendencies. So I don't make the distinction today. Maybe you're lost and you need to come to Jesus. You need to come to the cross today. Let's deal with that. But maybe you're not lost. Maybe you're found, but you've lost your way. And you're like, I see some of these tendencies. I see some of these tendencies. And hey, you too, let's come back to the cross and let God revive our hearts. But because it's a little harder to see the older brother's deal, we're going to talk about the older brother today. So the first sign or one of the signs of an older brother tendency is you get angry at God when things don't go your way. Like follow the Lord and then let suffering happen to you. Oh. <laughs> suffering happens to the younger brother. And what does the younger brother do? The younger brother's like, my life is messed up. It's broken. Pigs coming home. Coming home. The younger brother doesn't, older brother doesn't respond like that. Older brother doesn't say, I'm coming home. The older brother says, I can't believe this. Look at all I've done. You're going to let this happen to me? This is what I get. Huh. I'm not going into your feast. You owe me. I deserve for you to answer my prayers. I deserve for you to give me a good life. I deserve that ticket into heaven. I'm showing up every single week. And we put limits on what God can ask of us because we've paid our dues. It's like we know the, the verse, right? I'm a sinner saved by grace, but it's a concept. In reality, you are a savior saved by your works. And you feel the gravity of there like, oh, my goodness. Look, look, what, look what he says. Older brother became angry and refused to go into his father's feast. Like the father went out to bring the young one into the feast. And then he went to get the older brother. Says, man, I chew my son. Let's get in here. Older brother's like, no way. Uh-uh. And the father went out. And pleaded with him. You know what, what, what's so interesting, and you really see the, the heart of the older brother exposed here, is, is this. When, when the younger brother took his inheritance, everything that was left is the older brother's. You put that robe on him? That's my robe. You put that ring on it? That's my ring. You gave me my sandals? My chocolates? <laughs> No way. When you're an older brother and people get blessed that you don't think deserve it, ooh, how in the world did they find a spouse? I'm in the word every day, keeping my heart pure and righteous. How are you blessing them? Even King David was like, man, sometimes it seems like the wicked prosper because this is all the wicked gets. <laughs> like we're headed home. And so it's just this, this sense of God owes me. And this, this is the hard thing. This is the hard thing. God owes you when you're living right. 
God owes me. But if you're not living up to what you believe is God's standard, you fluctuate between I hate thee and I hate me. I can't believe you. Or how could you be so ridiculous? How could you not figure that out? How could you miss that? Everything is results-oriented. Rather than delighting in doing the right thing, just because it's the right thing to do and it's going to honor God and bless people and just it's the right thing to do. No, no, no. You do the right thing to control outcomes when you're the older brother. No, I'm doing the right thing because I'm trying to get control over everything. Elizabeth Elliot tells this story. She's, it's like a fable story of Jesus and his disciples. And she tells uh, the story where Jesus said to his disciples, hey, guys, I want you to pick up a rock and carry it. Well, Peter in his nature was like, well, he didn't say how big of a rock. So he picks up a little pebble. Got you, Jesus. So they stop around lunchtime, and Jesus says, okay, pull out your rocks. Peter pulls out his little stone, and Jesus does a little moment where he waves his hand over, and they all become food. He says, all right, it's time to have lunch. So Peter's like, man, I got like a chicken nugget. Right? So, so then later, later, Peter's like, I get it now. So as they're leaving, Jesus said, hey, pick up another stone. So Peter's like, yeah, buddy. Getting a little hernia, like, I can't wait for dinner. <laughs> and they get to a riverbank, and Jesus says, throw your stone in there. And they throw their stone, and then they're like. And Jesus said, didn't you remember what I asked you to do? I asked you to carry the stone. Who were you carrying the stone for? And it's a great pe- picture of our motivation. Wow. You got to think about some of you guys are like, what? You'll get it in the car. Think about it. You'll get it in the car. <laughs> Peter was not carrying the stone for Jesus. He was carrying the stone for him and what he could get out of it. Number two, if you're taking notes, are you guys with me? Number two is this. You'll find joyless mechanic obedience. Joyless mechanic obedience. But he answered, look, all these years. Look at talking to my kids looked at me and said, look. There's going to be an older father coming out. All these years I have been slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders. I think that's an exaggeration. Yet you never gave me even the young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. For the older brother, obedience is a grind. Following God is a grind. Because there's no intimacy. The relationship is all transactional. You ever been in a transactional relationship? It's the worst. I do this for you, therefore you owe me. We have no connection. We have no, our counselor always would tell Jack and I, guard transaction. Even the love languages can become transactional. Girl, I loved you all day. I'm doing my best acts of service. <laughs> Expecting something in return. And, and so, so we have to be careful that it doesn't become transactional. And that's why you see a lot of people walking Jesus for a long time, and then they just explode. They go off the deep end. You're like, what happened? You looked great. Wow. A pastor recently came out after having an affair and blowing up his marriage. Devastating. And I got to hear these stories all the time. Puts the fear of God on the inside of me. He came out on Instagram. He's like, man, guys, I, I, I could preach it. I could teach it. I could counsel. I just couldn't live it. Because it's transactional. I preach, the church grows, we do this. It's just, it becomes a transactional thing with God, no intimacy. 
Jim Baker, when he fell off the deep end, he said, the Lord told me, the Holy Spirit told me, this is way back, some of you older saints, you guys know what I'm talking about. He says, man, I felt the Lord say, I want you to spend time with me alone in the desert. But he said, I couldn't. I had to raise a million dollars every month. So I lacked intimacy. Everything became transactional, and then it blew up. And so, so like when I was in high school, I wanted to graduate. I had independent studies my last two years, and I wanted to graduate high school. And so what I did was I paid a girl to do my homework. Seriously, she worked for Wells Fargo. She was like a high-level executive. And I paid her, and she would leave my books for me on her doorstep. I'd wake up in the morning, boom, thank you very much, and some other shady stuff that, you know, I was helping her out with. But, but, but I, would go to, I, would, I would go to school, and it was, it was, I just, I wanted to graduate. I paid because I wanted to graduate. That payment was a means to something else. But now, do you guys know how much I pay to learn? I pay a lot of money to learn. But not because I, I want to be esteemed, not because I want to be popular, not because I want to graduate. No, but because learning in and of itself is the reward. I love to grow. I love to expand my understanding of the Lord and history and the things that I once hated, I love. Because in and of itself, it's good. And so the older brother said, listen, I obey God because he's useful to me. He answers my prayers. He's my key to a good life. If I need him to fix something, come on. He's amazing. But it's no different than me saying this. Servant leadership will transform your business. If you incorporate servant leadership into your business, it will transform your whole organization. People will love you. It will build the morale. People will think you're awesome. You know that some people will introduce servant leadership just because it's going to build my business, not because I'm a servant leader. And then guess what? Then an opportunity comes along and they said, hey, listen, servant leadership isn't the way. This is really what you need to do. You need to compromise your servant leadership to make your business successful. And then you know what they do? They're like, all right, well, let's do it. It's always a means to something else. Rather than saying, no, servant leadership is going to honor God. It's going to bless people. It's the right way to lead. It's the honest thing to do. Yeah. It's like, no, it's always a means to something else. And so the older brother, it's all transactional. Prayers are all petition. You just ask God for stuff all the time. There's no, there's no adoration. There's no contemplation of your beauty and your majesty. You're just amazing. I just want to just thank you for you. I just want to, I love you. Yeah. Say, like, okay, God, you ready? Here we go. Number one, fix my, fix this, change this. You know, Lord, I could really use it. I can't believe you didn't. And I'm exaggerating, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. But, a, but a follower of Jesus, a Christian, obeys God simply because he's beautiful. Yeah. Not because he's trying to get something from God. No, the believer says, no, you are the prize. Everything else is a benefit. Right. Everything else is a surplus. But even if I had, listen, you can have the world, just give me Jesus. Wow. Oh, it worships so well if we would only live that. Yeah. Third one is this. You guys with me? Coldness to the younger brother types, a little bit cold. Evangelism, sharing the gospel with younger brothers, you don't get excited about that. Matter of fact, you're irritated with them, you're bitter, especially if they're doing better than you are. Especially if they've been off the deep end, all oh, you think you just come in and be forgiven of all that? Especially if they're in your family? Oh, oh, well, you just think, like, it's hard. And I'm telling you, if you haven't seen yourself yet, man, look again. 
It's tough. You know, if you're late and somebody else is late to an event, you're relieved. Oh, you too? <laughs> C.S. Lewis said that's like, that's like the number one thing in friendship is when two people look at each other and they're like, you too? Man, let's go. High five. Did you get your coffee too? Yeah, and you were late. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but if you're punctual and somebody's late, I knew it. <laughs> Do you know I knew it. Oh, no. You don't honor my time. You're on time, man. I was here. Yeah, 10 minutes early is on time. You're on time, so you're late. Right? Just, you know, just that, that spirit and that attitude. The, the older brother says this. He says this. He says, but when this son of yours, he doesn't even say my brother. It's like, it's like a parent saying, this is your, your kid. It's not my daughter doesn't act like that. This son of yours who has squandered your property, then he takes shots with prostitutes. Shots fired. Comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? It's hard for the older brother to empathize because they always feel superior. Like, you're broken, dude. Pull yourself up. What are you doing? It's ridiculous. Be, they feel superior because they feel like they are incapable of being in that very place. That'll never be me. You, it, it, you can't see your own brokenness. There's no common ground. There's no you too. Hey, man, I get it. If it wasn't for the grace of God, that could be me. This happens a lot if you have an alcoholic spouse. Or battling with addiction. The, the, the spouse that does not have the addiction, man, if not careful, can fall into self-pity and self-righteousness. And it's like, I'm helping you, but I'm holding it over your head. And there becomes kind of an arrogant swag. It's kind of like the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18. Remember, the, 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 the tax collector was like, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I'm messed up. I'm broken. And the tax collector was like, Lord, thank you. I'm not like this guy. Praise the Lord. And the Lord said, Man, which, which person left? Justified. It wasn't the Pharisee. Just couldn't see that that is you, bro. You're just as broken. You just can't see it. And nobody else can see so you think you're good. Wow. Because really, you're a younger brother. You just know how to hide it really well. And God sees it all. And then lastly is this. Lastly, is there's a lack of assurance of faith of the Father's love. This, this one is tough because when you live trying to control God by your goodness, you never know if it's good enough. That's how every other religion operates on the face of the planet. Every other religion outside of Christianity. Christianity just says, yeah, none of us are good. That's why Jesus came. Every other religion says, you want to get to God? Let's see how good you are. And maybe. Oh, you did something wrong? Oh, that happened in your life? You must have did something bad. And so there's never any insurance. There's, there, there's never any insurance. I, I don't know if God loves me and delights in me because he created me and loves me. As an older brother, if your prayers aren't answered, you start to wonder, did I do enough? Like, how? Should I pray more? When you get criticized from other people, it doesn't just hurt, it devastates you. And rather than just, you know, 
man, that kind of wounded me. You know, it devastates you because God's love has very little power in your life. And so you need other people to pump you up. That's why you got to flaunt your gifts. This even happens spiritually. Look how gifted I am. Operate these gifts. Look at my accomplishments. Look at my achievements. And you live with the guilt that doesn't go away. Did I repent enough? I don't know. Let me try it again. And I think you look at your prayer life, it's just dry. There's no connection. Older brother said it like this. He said, man, but when this son of yours squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Can I just tell you as your pastor, so easy to preach. I was the younger brother, but I have to guard myself from the older brother. Because I'm not the, I, I'm, my, my God has redeemed my life. But it's easy to forget he has redeemed it and not me. So can I be honest with you? There's times where I'm looking like we're helping other churches and they're just exploding. And sometimes I would look at ours and I'd be like, man, I just feel like we got to fight for everything. Every inch, every little bit of territory, it's, it's a fight. And I even think we do stuff better. We're better than that church. I'm just letting you into my soul. It's the older brother. Because what I'm saying is, God, like they're not even living right. And their church is growing. As if it was anything but his grace. As if it's like, hey, man, oh, so you think you deserve it? Oh, you're going to be empty with that spirit. Like, no joke. This is, this, is, this is real life. We all have to guard ourselves from that space. The Pharisees and the scribes, they had easy access to all the riches of God's truth, yet they spent their lives in the scriptures, in public worship, but never really possessing any of the treasures enjoyed by a repentant sinner because of their arrogance. You do this for me. Can I just be honest with you guys? It's, it's for me. It's never about church growth. I don't care about that for growth's sake. What it feels like for me is, God, do you love me more than them? Do you love me like you love them? That's what it is for me. It's uncertainty of God's love for me at times. So it's not like, hey, I'm this like, oh, our church should grow. Like it's all about church growth. If you know me, that's not my heart at all. But what it's about is, God, do you love me like you love them? This older brother mentality. Because he said, all that I have is yours. You've always been in my house. It's like Peter saying, hey, well, you told me I'm going to die for you. What's going to happen to John? Peter's like, who cares? You follow me. Who are you carrying the stone for? Is it for yourself or is it for me? And so, so the one way home is the only way home, and that is the gospel. That is the gospel. It's not through relativism of discovering your own truth. Good luck. It will lead to eating pig pots, meaning it will leave you starving and empty. Because I, I guarantee, listen, you ask somebody around you, ask somebody around you if you make a good God. Because that's what relativism does. Says, I'm a good, I'm a better God than God. Good luck. Moralism doesn't work. You will live on a religious treadmill 
hating God and everybody else, exhausted. Okay, didn't, you, didn't answer my prayer again. Another younger brother? Like you live at the gym because you're stressed, exhausted. But the gospel says this. The gospel says something totally different. The world says that you need something of value in order to get in. The gospel says you don't get in until you realize you have nothing of value. The younger brother and the older brother were both invited to the feast, but the younger brother enters in because of humility, and the older brother is out because of pride. Father says, you both have a seat. One can see their brokenness, one can't. You want to go into a movie today, you got to have a ticket. You want to get into college, you got to have a good education. Or a mom that will do criminal activity to fudge your stuff so you can get into the... It's old now, it's old news. You need something of value to get in, but you don't get the power of God in the kingdom until you realize you have nothing to offer. It's purely by the grace of God. If it's anything other than that, you are bankrupt. You just don't see it. And you'll never get the power of God and experience the treasures of the gospel and life, what it's really like with Jesus. So you say, well, what am I saying? I'm saying maybe today, you need to repent from being your own savior. Maybe you've fallen back into that mindset. Maybe today you have a little bit of older brother tendencies. Maybe you have a little bit of younger brother tendencies. But the only way you're going to be able to do that is this. There was a huge cost at bringing this, this boy home. And this is what would irk the Pharisees to the core. Are you ready for this? Jesus is saying, you should have went out. Because the Pharisees represent the older brother. He was saying, you should have been the older brother went out and got your younger brother. But you didn't want to give anything away. You want to hold everything for yourself. You were not the true older brother. What Jesus was saying, I am the true older brother. I've obeyed the father perfectly, sinlessly, flawlessly, and I gave up everything, everything, so that a robe can be on your back, so that a ring could be put on your finger. Everything that belonged to me, I was stripped of. I let it all go so you could come back. I was the one running out when you were far away. I was the one that stepped out of the father's house, out of eternity, into time, and came after you and, and relinquished all that I have so you can be connected to the father. It was at that price. It was high cost. I lost the father so you could have him. Eloi, Eloi, lama samabachani. As Jesus cried on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he was bearing the sin of the world, separated at that moment from the father. I mean, just imagine that. So that we could be close. So that we could have him. When you see that we have an older brother that let go of everything so we could be that sheep around his shoulders bringing us home to celebrate. It will not only change how you live, but it'll change the way you see the stranger. It'll change the way you see the lost. Can I tell you, if, if you have older brother tendencies, the father loves you just as much and is pursuing you just as much. He didn't say, my younger son's home. Let's go. Party. Sorry about older son. You're a jerk anyways. That's why our son never wants to come home because you're always here. No, he runs to the older son and says, come into the feast. He's like, nah. Mm. 
you owe me. Until we really see the gospel, we will live in one of these two paradigms. We will live as younger brother, older brother, and yet not walk in the freedom that the gospel provides. So Lord, help us to see this clearly. We stand to your feet. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. I'm out of time, so I'm just gonna say this. If you need prayer for anything today, maybe if you're, maybe you're convicted and you feel like, oh man, I'm the older brother. Hey, the father's running to you. He's pleading with you today. Come to the feast. So much better his way. So much better when your heart's connected to him, not just your obedience. Maybe you're the younger brother and you just got it covered up real good. You don't really get connected to church because you live in wild. Like you were at the club last night. That's why we have refreshments where we have deodorant in the bathroom. We have gel just in case you have a long night. Come home. The father's coming out to you. Are you with me? So, so ask yourself these questions today. What is the Holy Spirit highlighting to you about you? Lean in. Where do you need to repent? And where do you need to lean in more? God, seal this word in our hearts. Thank you again for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast, where our heart is to lead people to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. You can also find more content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and by downloading our app.